Today's Bible reading is taken from Romans chapter 8, verses 12 to 17. Romans chapter 8, verses 12 to 17. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, great to be together, isn't it, to hear of what God is doing. Uh, having heard about the Wellington trip, hearing about the SRE work that we pray for and we support here at the church. It's great to get an update there. It's nice to meet Rachel for the first time, myself as well, to hear what God is doing in their church, in a bilingual church and potentially trilingual church right there in Hurstville. And uh, God is doing his work not only through this church, but through multiple churches and Christian believers in our region. And we ought to be thankful for what God is doing in our area. Friends, uh, if you're visiting today, we are in a series in the book of Romans. And last week in Romans 8, we began with these words, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And Romans 8, we said, finishes with the words, no separation from God's love. And beautiful truths, aren't they? No condemnation if you're in Christ Jesus and no separation from his love. And that's why for a funeral or Thanksgiving service on Tuesday, for Barry Taylor, who served God faithfully in this place, those words, no condemnation, are spoken over his life. He's now with Christ, which is better by far. And so you may be struggling with temptation, with lust or with anger, maybe selfishness or moodiness, maybe, uh, I love that, you're not there, you're sort of here or like this, feeling like this this morning. If you are in Christ that makes all the difference. It really doesn't matter how you're feeling this morning, what tough times you're going through, or whether you're on a high, your relationship with Christ is determined by your trust in him. Romans 5 says, uh, we are justified by faith, and we now have peace with God, Romans 5, verse 1. So we hold on to these truths in the book of Romans, but if we are free from condemnation, we are also free to live a new life. And we've been exploring that. It was the early church father, Augustine, who said in his confessions, give me chastity and self-restraint, but do not give it yet, he said. He was happy to be holy, but not yet. And he then added, I did not want my lust quenched, but rather glutted. If you're an authentic child of God led by the Holy Spirit, you can't think like that. To his credit, Augustine knew that as long as he was crying, give me chastity and self-restraint, but not yet, he said he was unsaved. 
He knew he could not become a Christian until he could say from his heart, give me chastity and self-restraint, Lord, and give it now. Because he knew that there was no justification from past sins without holiness for present life. Friends, Paul began chapter 8 by saying there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We are free because the Holy Spirit has applied the work of Christ to us. We saw that. The law could not save us, he says, because of the weakness of our sinful nature. But Christ came to rescue us when he came in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering, Romans 8 verse 3. And let me summarize where we went last week. In Romans 8, 1 to 11, we saw that there are two ways to live. We set our minds on what the flesh or sinful nature desires. That leads to death. If we set our minds on what the spirit desires, leads to life and peace, verse 6. We saw also that there were two blessings of having the Holy Spirit. Although our bodies are mortal and subject to decay, we are spiritually alive, verse 10. And although our bodies are mortal, the Spirit guarantees us a resurrection body when Christ returns, verse 11. In light of these blessings put upon us by God, how should we then live? And the first thing is that we have a new obligation, a new obligation, verses 12 to 13. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in light of all that God has done for us in Christ, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh. It is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. No, no, not at all. We let go of, we kill that sinful nature. We put it to death. It's died with Christ. We're not obliged to listen to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. I remember hearing uh, David Cook preach once at the men's convention in Katoomba. Uh, he was formerly the principal of Sydney Missionary Bible College. He said, when I was an adolescent, he said, I didn't listen. Adolescents don't listen. They only listen to their friends. I'm picturing high school kids now. He said, one day my father asked me this question. He said, David, if you were to have an accident and you were laid in bed for a whole year, who would look after you? Said, oh, you and mum would, of course. <laughs> mum and dad would look after me. Who else? I said, sure. Your friends might visit for a while, every so often. But David, he said, my father said, you need to listen to those who love you most. David, you'll hear a lot of competing voices. Listen to those who love you most. Friends, we have an obligation to listen to the Holy Spirit and be led by him. Because he loves us most. He wants what's best for us. To transform us into Christ-likeness. To empower us to give us joy and hope and direction and purpose. To live for a grand a vision that most people live. To make a difference with our lives. Listen to him. He doesn't come to kill our joy, but to bring ultimate joy. So therefore he says, put to death, kill off the misdeeds of the body. We should recognize our sinfulness, as we've said the last few, year, few weeks, as evil and seek to put it to death. In an interview, the country music star, the late Johnny Cash, spoke about his battle against the dark side and finally put his trust in Christ. And this verse, verse 13, had an impact on him as he read it. 
For if you live according to the sinful nature, Johnny Cash, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. And friends, the truth is our flesh, our sinful nature, makes big promises but brings death instead of life. Don't let it suck you in. The Bible says there are the fleeting pleasures of sin all around us. We see it in the destruction of marriages, sin. We see it in the destruction of workplaces. We see it in the destruction of families. The fleeting pleasures, they come, it's joyful. That's why sin is so seductive, because it feels good for that moment. Five seconds later, you're beating yourself, aren't you? Why did you do that? Why did you say that? Why did you look at that? Because it was pleasurable for that moment. They make big promises, but it leads to death. I was in my 20s, and I, I picked up a local newspaper, The Courier. It was, uh, I was living in Marrickville with my family, and, um, and there was a doctor from the, um, the hospital in the eastern suburbs who would often write an article. Quite helpful material. And I just read it once, it said, it was titled, In Control Until Number 18. I thought, I wonder what that's about. So I read the article and it says, it was about a family man who went to Thailand on a business trip. He went with his mates for a few, few drinks in one of the bars, no interest in sinning sexually. But the girls were lining up, waiting for an eager customer. They all had numbers on them, so men could pick them out. Sadly, this happens time and time again as people go to many countries, such as Thailand. He said, I resisted until number 18. As I'm going to walk past and not give in to temptation, number 18 was my number. I got sucked in. I was in control until number 18. He didn't ask the question, would this be good for him? He didn't ask the question, would it be good for his relationship with his wife? Would it be helpful for his children? No. Came home and guilty, ashamed. After a few weeks, he started to feel unwell. He went to his local doctor. AIDS. He left the doctor a broken man driving home to explain this to his wife and his children. Some of our choices in disobedience have long-lasting consequences. Paul says we no longer have an obligation to the sinful nature. By the Spirit of God, put sin to death. By the Spirit, we must put to death the misdeeds of the body. John White wrote a, a book on discipleship that I read again in my 20s and 30s called The Fight. I love it. Because it is a spiritual battle, isn't it? It's a fight as we allow the Spirit of God to lead us rather than our sinful nature to live this new life. Jesus said, gouge out your eye, cut off your hand in the battle with sin. He wasn't speaking literally. He meant take drastic steps to walk in holiness. 
A younger Christian afflicted by uh, lust and temptation approached his pastor for, for help. He asked him, how long will this battle go on, pastor? I'm, I'm lo- loving Jesus, but this temptation is always there. And the pastor thought for a moment. Then he said very carefully, I wouldn't trust myself until I was dead for three days. <laughs> Sin and lust is seductive. Satan, the enemy, wants to bring us down. It's a battle. It's a fight. So what are the weapons for the fight? I mean, you know the basic weapons. Saturate your mind with God's word. Think his thoughts. Be so filled in your mind with the thoughts of God that you just can't help but just seek to be obedient to him. Pray for the power and the strength to walk in holiness and obedience. Examine your life and say, Lord, be honest with the Lord. Lord, I'm struggling here. I'm struggling here, there. And get some help. Share honestly in fellowship. Come under the sound of the word of God as you are this morning. Study it in your small groups, in one-on-ones. Be accountable to one another. Keep on setting your mind on the things of the Spirit. Keep on setting your mind. Don't get distracted. I often get distracted. I have to keep setting my mind. I have to reset my mind on the things of the Spirit and obey God's word. Don't think twice. When God says something, just do it. Make it, let it be as natural as possible. What do I do? If I see an opportunity to steal, I don't steal, right? I, I tell you, I walk past those counters at, at Woolies and there's chocolate bars there. And I tell you, when I see them, I don't pick it up and put it into my pocket. Check the cameras. No, I don't. Why not? Because you don't steal, right? I have to think about it. If I walk past seemingly a pretty woman... I'm a pastor, I never notice any of those things. And just, just keep walking. Don't have that first look, that second look, that third look. Just keep walking. Be thankful as a creature created by God in his image to be loved and valued and honoured. Obey God's word. Friends, we are not defeated, we are simply often disobedient. We have the victory through Christ. But some of our, as I said, some of our, our sins and our failures lead to ongoing repercussions. Kerry O'Brien was once interviewing Richard Armitage, the Deputy Security of the United States, uh, a number of years ago. It was on terrorism and war. Listen to it carefully. Richard said, our problem is that when we have a defeat, it is an obvious defeat. When nothing happens... It's a great victory for us. September 11th was an obvious defeat. In the pursuit of holiness, I want to urge you to do something. Recognize your great victories. Because Satan will want to just remind you of the bad things, the failures. You know what it's like. Someone says 10 positive things to you and one negative, you only remember the negative, right? And we do that to ourselves too. And we failed... Oh, I sinned again, I sinned again. He says, remember the great victories. When you took out your Bible and you read it. When you pray for someone in need. When you forgave rather than taking revenge. When you resisted the urge to look at pornography. You just turned off that phone. Whatever it happens to be. When you, you heard some gossip but you didn't enter into the gossip, you walked away. Celebrate the victories. Give thanks to God for the victories every step of the way and you walk with God. You do have great victories. Our problem is that when we have a defeat, it's an obvious defeat. And some of those defeats have dark, long-term and painful consequences. We have to live with that.
But having talked about the new obligation, he now reminds them of our new identity in Christ. I love this. He said, the Spirit leads us into holiness. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. We are now children of God. And keep in mind that this verse is the end of a sentence that began in verse 13, which is all about living a holy and godly life. Cranfield writes, The daily, hourly putting to death of the scheming and enterprises of the sinful flesh by means of the Spirit is a matter of being led, directed, impelled, controlled by the Holy Spirit. And as the Spirit leads us, we remember that God sees us as his children, sons and daughters of God. Now it says there is a popular notion of the universal fatherhood of God. We're all brothers and sisters. Well, only in the sense that we are created by God, but we're not all brothers and sisters. Only those who are reconciled to God through faith in Christ are brothers and sisters. Amen? See, we come. Now, I don't know about you, but... uh, Many people these days walk around in certain cultures. Hey, bro, how you doing, bro? How you doing? Everyone's bro. And I started doing the same to all these people I don't even know. Right? Because it's familial, it's friendly, it's loving, it's like, hey, we're family. But that takes away some of the distinction. Because as Christians, we're not brothers and sisters with the lost. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're called to reach the others so they too can become brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I understand what they mean when they say, bro, and sometimes you know, your family, you know, where everyone's a cousin or whatever it happens to be. I run into Greek people. I might as well call them brother or cousin. They probably are. Uh, you're not always sure. Someone's related to someone somewhere. But in terms of the fact that we become children of God when we put our faith in him, John Stott says we are granted a close, personal, loving relationship with our Heavenly Father, immediate and bold access to Him in prayer, membership of the worldwide family, and nomination as His heirs, to which Paul comes to in verse 17. So having come to Christ, we are in this privileged position. And the Spirit replaces fear with freedom in our relationship with God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. What does that mean? It's just not just sons and daughters. In the first century, what does it mean to be adopted to sonship? The scholar F.F. Bruce describes it this way. In the Roman world of the first century AD, an adopted son was a son deliberately chosen by his adoptive father to perpetuate his name, and inherit his estate. He was no wit or not in the smallest degree inferior in status to a son born in the ordinary course of nature, might well enjoy the father's affection more fully and reproduce the father's character more worthily. It was a privilege which brought great benefits and blessing to the child who was adopted. God says, I've adopted you into my family. We'll say we're brothers with Jesus, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. An adopted teenage girl expressed similar sentiments. She put it this way. My sister was born to mummy and daddy in a normal way, but I was chosen to be a member of their family, and to me that's special. She lived in a beautiful home provided by her 
uh, for her by her loving father, who was a high-ranking business executive. She said, isn't it wonderful that I share in all the beautiful things Daddy provides just as much as my sister who was born to these things? We've gone from slavery to freedom in Jesus. We are not alienated from God. We are friends with God. We are more than that. We are sons and daughters of the living God. And the Spirit, as a result, now prompts us in our prayers to call God Daddy. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is the Aramaic word for dad or daddy. Never used by the Jews to address God, nor do they use it today. Jesus alone used it, and also we have the reference here. And in your Bibles, you've got the word Abba, Patera. Patera is the Greek word, Patera. Side by side, we call him Abba, Father. We speak of intimacy. Now, my, my granddaughter, we've taught her the Greek word. She calls me Papu. At the beginning, I thought, oh, it's a bit strange. Kids are going to think, who is this girl? Who's this Papu thing person around the place? I'm not Poppy or Daddy and uh, everyone's speaking in English. Then I thought, no, no. All she knows is that when she looks at me, I'm Papu. Then she's with me and she, and her mother's not around. If her mother's around, I don't get a say. <laughs> if it's... Well, answers are around, I don't get a say. I only get a say when I'm around, and I'm the only one. So that's good, so I look after her every Wednesday. But she's safe with me. She wants food, she comes to me. Daddy, not daddy, papu. And it's sort of that image. We go to God as our father, our daddy. So the Spirit himself, not only can we cry out that, the Spirit gives an inner testimony. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And when you know Christ, there's sense sometimes you're just sitting there and the Holy Spirit convicts you. He said, you're okay, you're safe in Jesus. You belong to him. You're a child of God. Don't let people tell you something else. Don't let people bring you down. Even when you make mistakes, you don't stop being a child of God. My granddaughter doesn't stop being a granddaughter of mine if she makes a mistake or runs away from me. Neil Anderson, in his book, Living Free, tells the story of a woman who knew all these things but didn't quite get it, and I think sometimes we don't quite get it. He said, I meet, regularly meet mature adults who will struggle for the approval of their parents or others. Ultimately, they compromise their spiritual integrity to avoid the rejection of man. He illustrates. A woman said, I came from a Christian family, and though there was a lot of bickering and hostility between my parents... I think I had an average childhood. Everyone always said I looked, listen carefully, I looked like my dad, but unfortunately my mother was often angry at my dad and resented his family. Many times when I displeased my mother, she would say I was just like my father's sister, the one she often criticised. My parents provided for our needs well and intellectually I knew I was loved, I knew that in my head. But the feeling and assurance of being totally accepted and okay always seemed to escape me. Even after 35 years of marriage and several grandchildren of my own, I, I was still subconsciously trying to earn my mother's approval and prove my love to her, resulting in many arguments between my husband and myself. I first realised unconditional love at the age of 14 when I understood Christ's invitation in Revelation 3.20. I began a personal walk with him. 
I was overwhelmed by his love, devoured scripture, witnessed to all of my friends. I've never consciously chosen to leave that precious relationship. But as I look back on my life, I see how Satan has attacked me in my most vulnerable area, the need to know total love and acceptance. During our years of marriage and a lifetime of ministry, I've been on some rabbit trails because I did not realise who I am in Christ. I've listened to negative thoughts against myself, thinking they were my own. I did not realise that Satan can use our past experiences and put thoughts in our minds to condemn and defeat us. She says, Neil, what blessed news to hear your teaching on our identity in Christ. I am no longer a product of my past. I am a product of the work of Christ on the cross. I know who I am now. I'm a child of God, and the basis for my acceptance is in him, not in man. Do you get that? Your identity is in Christ, loved, valued through the work of Christ. The past is gone. You're a new person. She referred to a song they sang, In the beloved accepted I am, risen, ascended, and seated on high, saved through, from all sin through his infinite grace, with the redeemed ones accorded a place. In the beloved God's marvelous grace, calls me to dwell in, in this wonderful place, God sees my saviour and then he sees me in the beloved, accepted and free. Paul writes to the Romans, he says, get to your understanding of your identity. This is the spirit is the first fruits of our inheritance, verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. There are implications for the future. It's not simply identity now, not only the blessings now, but what you have to come. Firstly, we have an inheritance in heaven which can never perish, spoil, or fade. But more than that, we need to recognize that our greatest inheritance is God himself. The great hope of the Christian church, it's described in Revelation 21 verse 3. Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Someone says, what is so good about heaven? You know what's so good about heaven? You get God. That's what it is. Someone says, why do I want to go to heaven? Because you get God in heaven. Well, what's God going to give me? You get God and you get everything that God offers you. We see this in the Old Testament, Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God, it's you I love. God, it's you I desire. God, I want to know you more. I want to know you more deeply. I want to honor you. I just can't help but wanting to spend time with you, God. And in heaven, you have time with God completely forever. Do you want him? Let me tell you, if you don't want God... You're not going to kill sin by the power of the Spirit. If you don't want God, you're just going to live like everyone else. But if God is your consuming passion, if God is everything, if he is the one that's worthy of worship, worthy of following, then it's going to change your life. He said the inheritance is certain. 
Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, says in 8.23. We're looking forward to being with him. And verse 17 concludes, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Identity, sons and daughters of God, a place in heaven, we get God, we get perfection. And Paul, did you have to mention the sufferings here? <laughs> sufferings is a pathway to glory. He's saying to them, realise you live in a fallen world, the next week we'll look at more on that topic from 18 to 27. But realise as Jesus suffered for you, you too will suffer on the pathway to glory. We've been praying for the persecuted church over the last three weeks. We've been raising money for the persecuted church. We urge you to put aside $2 a day for 21 days. You can put in your money online or through an envelope because we want to purchase Bibles and put it into the hands of our brothers and sisters who are suffering in ways that we will never suffer, who want the word of God. It's a pathway to glory. Let me conclude. J.I. Packer wrote this fabulous book called Knowing God. He says, do I as a Christian understand myself? Do I know my own real identity? He says, I am a child of God. God is my father. Heaven is my home. Every day is one day nearer. My saviour is my brother. Every Christian is my brother too. And he writes, we'll have that on, keep that on the screen. Say it over, to you, over and over to yourself first thing in the morning, last time, thing at night, as you wait for the bus, any time when your mind is free and ask that you may be enabled to live as one who knows it all utterly, to be utterly and completely true. This is the Christian secret of a Christian life and a God-honoring life. Who are you? Why don't you say it with me? I am a child of God. God is my father, heaven is my home, every day is one day nearer. My saviour is my brother, every Christian is my brother too. Not only are we going to say it, now we're going to sing it. Thanks.